Good morning, friends. My name is Michael. I've not met you before. And uh, great to have you with us this morning as we look at God's Word together. Uh, so let's pray about that in a moment. Uh, just before we do, I'd like to say, you notice as we're travelling through this particular chapter, uh, halfway through the chapter, it takes uh, perhaps, a, perhaps a twist or a more a greater clarification. We see there are crowds following Jesus. And the last part of the passage, the passage Jesus focuses in on talking to the crowds and says, if you want to be my disciple... This is what it means. And the two, chap- two the chapters, the part of the chapter leading up to this, actually helps us see that in the context of what does it mean, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Um, in the world, everything can be copied. It can be uh, in, imitated or cheated. And we often want assurance that we've got the genuine article. Uh, and AI has made this all the more important and, and difficult in sports and in the Olympics, we know that we want athletes to compete on a level playing field, you might say, and so win on the best of their ability. If they cheat, they may get stripped of the medal. In Luke 14, as we see here, Jesus shows us what authentic discipleship looks like. And uh, I found the chapter fairly demanding as I've been reading through it myself and reflecting on it, and I think you will. So let's pray that God might give us humble hearts that are teachable and we can live lives to his glory. Let me pray. Father, we come as your children to hear you teach us. And yet when your word confronts us, it's so easy to let it run off our back like water off a duck's back. Please may that not happen today. Please help us to hear your word, to be rebuked where that's necessary, to be encouraged because we know you love us, and to be strengthened to live for Christ as authentic disciples. Amen. So you'll see the passage falls now, I think, into sort of three parts. Uh, Authentic disciples are humble. Authentic disciples accept Jesus' invitation. And authentic disciples follow Christ. The chapter opens with Jesus in a Pharisee's house. Uh, The Pharisee has invited him. And the episode shows us that authentic disciples are humble. The strong comments Jesus Jesus has made about the Pharisees, he has been invited into their house, and this guy is described as one of their leaders. It's the Sabbath day again, and the scene set for hypocrites to be unmasked, you might say. Verse 1 shows us that, interestingly, Jesus is being watched. I don't know if you've been invited somewhere and then discover once you get there. Uh, if you went for an interview for a position, you could well imagine that, yes, you're going to be watched. <laughs> if you go for a lunch uh, in someone's house, I don't think you'd expect that same sort of intensity of introspection into you. Who, what do you like? And so on. I've been to lunch with quite a few guys, uh, of you guys recently, and that's been very pleasant. <laughs> I haven't felt <laughs> I'm, on, I'm being quizzed. And uh, who are you? What are you going, what's going on here? What's, it's been a very unpleasant time just talking and sharing with you. Verse 2 shows us the situation or the trap that's been set. A man with dropsy or he's got a disease which dropsy means there's a, unusual swellings in his body. I don't quite know what that means, but there you are. Uh, and the question was posed, though, What will Jesus do on the Sabbath? No one's asked that question, but his presence there, their intense observation of him to see what will you do, 
suggests there is a bit more going on here than just it happens that this man happened to be there and the man who was, had dropsy happened to be there. So Jesus asks, uh, <laughs> I love Jesus, he, 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 he squeezes the pimple until it pops. <laughs> and so in verse 3 he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? <laughs> the pressure's on. <laughs> what do you say? They're the Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? No answer. Well, it can't be wrong then, can it? <laughs> is the unspoken comment there, I think, as I read through there. These men are the experts, I've asked. They should know. Verse 4 affirms that Jesus healed the man. Verse 5, he reminds them that since they would, on the Sabbath, if their ox or ass or even their son uh, fell into a ditch or a well, they would not hesitate to help and pull the animal or the person out. Is it also lawful to heal them on the Sabbath? Again, they won't answer. When don't you want to answer a question? <laughs> I've known that experience too often myself. When you're afraid of incriminating yourself, the Pharisees won't answer Jesus. Why not? Well, they're watching him closely, but they've got nothing to say. Well, he humbles the proud. Verses 7 through to 11, we see him at the dinner party uh, continuing, and he notices that when the guests arrived, they are seated in pl they choose the places of honour. They, they think, I, I would like to be tr treated as an honourable person. I'll sit down with the, the one of the highest seats at the table. And Jesus tells the parable not to, uh, to, to, to suggest to them, don't go for the, the best seat first. Rather, go for the least important seat. Then if the, the, the host comes and says, oh, friend, come up higher, you won't be embarrassed. Whereas it happened the other way around and you've got to make room for someone else, you'll push down the queue further. And how embarrassing that would be. It sounds so obvious, really. When you're a proud person, you want others to know you are important. Meanwhile, Jesus teaches them to go for the least important seat. No, it's not simply polite manners with him saying this, but it's actually a practice, a practice of Old Testament uh, teaching. Since the Pharisees live, want to live by God's word, they ought to pay attention to the, the models and examples the Old Testament sets for them. In Proverbs 3, for example, it, tells, uh, it says that God mocks proud mockers but gives grace to the humble. Or again, in uh, Psalm 18... You, God, save the humble and bring low those whose eyes are proud. You think big of you, of yourself? You can expect that God might pull the carpet from under your feet. Besides, the guest list made it clear that who was significant enough to be invited and who was not significant, who was not an important person. And Jesus says, invite, invite guests when you're having a, a feast. Uh, who, and, and don't look for repayment from those guests that you invite. You may not think of doing that. On the other hand, you might think it would be very nice if I got an invitation back. The Pharisee invited his mates, who he knows will invite him back, and they'll be patting each other on the back. Jesus urges him, don't do that. Look for the lame, the poor, the crippled. Look for those who can't 
hand, help, uh, pat you on the back and, hand, and, and, and give you thanks and honour back. Jesus' way of thinking is so countercultural, so gracious, so kind. I, I get confronted by that because I'm proud and I keep thinking I'm the important one. I went to the physio recently. When I got there, I discovered there were five assistants in the reception room uh, chattering to one another, slowly dealing with whoever happened to be uh, coming for, come for attention. And I thought as I wait to be uh, dealt with, can't they see that I'm in a hurry? <laughs> I, then I realised as I looked a little bit longer, three were being trained for what to do. One was on reception and one was explaining what was happening. I ate a bit of humble pie silently. My pride keeps wanting to make its presence felt. I want to be in the fast lane of the traffic. I will often skip lanes because I see one lane moving faster. I want to be served quickly. I want, I want. You see, Jesus is our model. He is the creator of all our ears. He really is a VIP, and yet he came as one of us in humility. Uh, you think of where he was born, you think of his, where he grew up, you think of how he was treated. He came to his own people, but they knew better and rejected him. Here we see the Pharisees waiting to catch him. He knows they are, but he continues to, uh, uh, and steps right into their trap intentionally. He could have ignored the situation, but he chose to continue to reveal himself and heal a man, even though that triggers the trap. And as, he follows, as followers of Jesus, really, we are called to put pride to death, practising humility for life. You might be recalling the event last night. Uh, put pride to death is what the Bible calls on us to do. Practice humility. Live under God's word. Put pride, to put pride to death, I need to know I am a sinner. Good to start the service for reminding me of that today. Thank you very much, Matthew. Guilty. My problem is I think I'm special. I get edgy when the driver is in the front of me is slow and uncertain. My pride I, in my pride, I accuse him of getting his licence out of a Whitbix packet. <laughs> I want to be served on a priority basis. I look for the shortest queue. I keep finding myself asking, why don't they have a cash register for those people who have only got two items to buy? Put pride to death. And so when I notice those desires in me stirring up, what can I do? There's nothing especially wrong with them, except it alerts me to the way I think. I'm proud. God opposes the proud. What can I do to put pride to death? Well, I need to be aware of those occasions when my pride is getting fired up. But there's a lot more I need to do. I need to remind myself then that I'm a forgiven sinner. I'm a sinner. I need to humble myself and recognise I'm not the nice, good person you might think I am. Might think. Jesus had to die for me so that I could live. Someone had to give up their life 
so I could live. I need to remind myself that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The Lord detests the proud, that love does not boast, it is not proud. I need to do a fair bit of self-talk in those times. When's pride triggered in you? Sometimes you start thinking, I deserve better, faster treatment. Or it might be when your child is snubbed. That hurts. Pride again. Think of Jesus in the manger. Snubbed. When your child makes some mistake in public and you feel the parenting has shown you up. That hurts. When achievement's not recognised, that hurts. When you're passed over, that hurts. When our pride is aroused, we need to kill it. It might be... uh, It's worse. It's worse than cancer. It makes you seem important. And God gets smaller in your eyes as you get bigger. And so God calls on us kill pride. Authentic disciples are humble. And secondly, we see uh, my third heading on the sheet there, authentic disciples accept Jesus' invitation. Uh, Jesus at a dinner table at the Pharisee and his guests, verse 15, one says, uh, he asks a leading question or makes a comment. Blessed is the man who will sit at the table at the feast of the kingdom of God. He's got the right view. He's looking forward to being at the feast in the kingdom of God. But who will be there? Who will have such a privilege is sort of what he's asking there. The Pharisees thought that if you followed God's laws plus their extra laws, you just might get, be good enough to get there. Remember who they're talking to. How did they start the meal? Verse 1. <laughs> Magnifying glass out. Jesus being watched tight closely. They are talking to the Son of God. They may not know that at the moment. That's because they don't recognise him because they've got the wrong picture of the Son of God. Even if they don't realise it, they're talking to God's Messiah, the host of the feast in heaven. Are they on the guest list? Verse 1, they're trying to catch him out to show that he is not good enough for them, not as righteous as them. There's the setting for the parable. The the parable's revealing that when you despise the host... uh, The master's holding a banquet. He's already sent out the invites. Now everything is ready. He sends his servant to gather his guests. They refuse to come on the most absurd of their reasons. Even in Jesus' day, the excuses they give are the most absurd. Uh, I've got got a new car and I just want to go and test it and see if if it works okay. I bought a house, but I better go and have a look at it to make sure it's not like the one you showed. You know, they're absurd. Of course you would have looked at the, the, the house before you bought it. Of course you would have tried the car before you got it. In truth, they do not want fellowship with the master. They don't want to sit at his table. The master's angry with their attitude to him. But the party is still on, you notice. The master, the master sends his servants out to invite all to come. No, it's not invite, is it? It's compel. It's a stronger word, a much stronger word. Uh, compel. I wonder if that if they. Um, uh, I wonder if they added people who think that such an invitation could not really be for them. I wonder if they're the people they found in the streets. 
they'd be happy to sit down somewhere, eat and quiet and avoid the fire. No, no, the master intends to fill his house and with much rejoicing, you notice. And that's like John's vision of heaven back in Revelation 7. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. But those who are invited first have the kind to come. Who? Well, the Pharisees and those who do not want to follow the Lord Jesus. They thought they were, the, they were in because of their performance. But they ignore, they ignore the invitation from the Messiah. They miss badly. The parable helps us see that those who accept the invitation honour the host and will be at his banquet. What counts is your attitude to the host, to Jesus, the King? Do you think his invitation's worth accepting? The invitation's available to all, no matter race, what country, race, or culture you come from. The master invited his guests first, then anyone. God is making an open invitation to you to come to his, his feast. The master wanted his banquet hall full. He's invited people from every race and every language and every people. None of us, though, are worthy. Yet we all need to come. Perhaps you have not responded to the invitation yet. Now, the invitation you need to accept Jesus as your master. He is the host. But if you don't accept the invitation, you're not coming to the banquet. To accept his invitation, you need to speak to him. You need to thank him for his invitation. Tell him you want to accept, that you want to honour him as your master. If you like, have a chat with myself or Matt afterwards. We'd love to have a talk with you about that. But in Matthew, in verses 25 to 35, Jesus spells out the third facet of being an authentic disciple. Authentic disciples live for Christ. You'll notice here a very surprising statement that Jesus says with the phrase, you cannot be my disciple. It comes up three times. It's an interesting part, that thing that Jesus should say. Three times, you cannot be my disciple. Well, in the section is after dinner in the Pharisee's house. Jesus is on his journey, continuing that, that journey to Jerusalem. Luke notes that large crowds are following him. So more than the 12, more than just their friends, large crowds. Success, you'd look at that if we saw that. The disciples must have been delighted to see the growth and popularity here. Jesus' teaching at this point, though, must have astounded them. Being in the crowd is one thing, but it's quite another thing to be a disciple. In the crowd, you're free to leave any time. On the other hand, a disciple's committed himself to his master to learn from him. Jesus is interested people in the crowd becoming disciples. Being a disciple is not a token gesture. It's not just completing a form to be filed away. In verse 26, we see that to be a disciple means to put Jesus first before all else. In verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. At first, this seems so extreme. Uh, what does Jesus mean? Hate his father and mother? Doesn't that break with the commandment to honour your mother and your father? How do we understand this? 
Yes, Jesus knows the commandments and he calls on his followers to obey them. He rebukes the Pharisees for doctoring God's word so you don't have to obey the commandments. So Jesus can't mean hate, literally. Secondly, the scriptures are like all of literature. They're written in a variety of categories. Poetry, speech, commandment, history. Each of these conveys meaning differently. We can't read them all the same. In this passage, Jesus used a form of expression called hyperbole. It means using extreme language to emphasise a point. My dad would sometimes say to me, if you do that again, I'll wring your neck. I never thought he'd actually wring my neck, but I knew that if I ignored him, the consequences would not be good. <laughs> you, get the, you get what I mean? It must be important, though, because Jesus repeats it and he spells out the consequences at the end of the verse. To ignore him on this matter means a person cannot be my disciple. A phrase so important he repeats it again in verse 33. The claim's extreme. Yes, it is. That's exactly what Jesus intends and means. To grasp what he means by hate your father and mother, look at the end of verse 26. Jesus calls on us to hate even our own life. He doesn't mean go and commit suicide. He does not mean hate yourself. He doesn't say that. He does say hate his own life. It's another way of saying, I think, die to self and live for Christ. I am not in charge of my life. I die to my self-rule. We hate and we have to hate living for ourselves. Jesus called on me to live for him. He's the one I'm following, not for me. It's vital we not water this down. Jesus claims your life. Nothing, nothing is to be more important in your life. He says, unless you hate your life, you cannot be my disciple. And when he says, hate your father and mother, he means you cannot live for them and let them take priority in your decision-making over him. He calls on us to hate our children. That is, we must put serving Jesus in a higher priority than serving our children. In practice, this really means if you want to be a good parent, put Jesus first. Because his way of living is going to be far better than the way you come up with. In this way, you'll be a better parent because you'll be following Jesus' way in raising your children. For example... When your child seems to do so well in sport that the temptation is to encourage them to excel and to get on the rep team, then you realise, oh, that might mean missing Sunday school and then missing, and for you, it might mean missing church. Will that help them grow as a disciple of Jesus? It may help them we would do well in sport, but it might be bad news for their growth as a follower of Christ, indeed for them and for you. Your own modelling tells them that church and Jesus' people don't really matter when you look at life that way. Jesus says, unless you hate your life, unless you put Jesus first, you cannot be my disciple. Now, his words, not mine. I must see my life as living for Jesus. Verse 27 amplifies the point. True disciples die to self and follow Jesus. He says, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
carry a cross. Yes, it's an image. He doesn't mean he does not mean for you and for me to pick up a wooden cross and carry it. That would be trivial. Carry your cross. He knew what that would mean for him. And it means the same for us. Do you remember Jesus in the garden? I'll keep hopping back to that. If I've done that already in the previous time with you. There in the garden, he knows what the future looks like. He knows where things are going with the Pharisees and the others who are opposed to him. And in the garden, he's on his knees. And he's, he, he prays to his father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. In that prayer, I hear, I do not want to go this path. I will submit myself to your will, but I do not want, this is not, <laughs> if I had my free choice, I'd not be, I'd walk away from this garden <laughs> right now. He knows what a cross is for. It's a cross is what you die on. We are to die to living for self. And unless we die to self and follow him, he says, you cannot be my disciple. This will really impact those of us who have a fairly tight family. Jesus' disciples say goodbye, though, to all I have. When things don't work out the way you want in being a disciple, don't be too surprised because he doesn't promise you everything's going to work out because you're his disciple. He's not promising. He's not in the business of fulfilling your desires. He's not, his job is not to make... He's not, his promise and his desire is not to make your life fulfilling. Rather, his work in your life is to lead you to greater maturity in him, to live for him and to live to his glorious name, to grow more and more like him. And so the events and circumstances that happen in your life will all be used by him to help you grow that way and produce in you the fruit of the Spirit. It may not seem like that to you, but all those times and circumstances where you've got to try to control your response and behaviour in certain situations will be trying to put into practice what does it mean to have for the fruit of the Spirit to find application at this particular point? What does it mean for me to love when I'm being so pressed? What does it mean to be patient when I'm being, being shuffling around the queues? What does it mean for me to be, to be humble? Remember, we have joined his team. He has not joined our team. We must be both prepared to let go of the things of this world. We do not live for them. You cannot keep them. They'll be taken from you. Every single little thing. Because you can't take it with you when you go. There is nothing wrong with the things of this world. Indeed, they've been given to us to enjoy and to thank God for. However, they are not important in life. If we have them and they go, let them go without grief. Verses 34 to 35, Jesus reveals that pretend disciples are thrown out of the kingdom. Short little parable there, isn't it? Salt's good, but if it's lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? If it's no, it's no use either for the soil or for the manure pots thrown away. Uh, replace the word salt with disciple. A disciple is good, 
But if a disciple has lost its taste, is not a disciple, how shall its discipleship be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Recall, Jesus is speaking to the crowds who follow him. They look like followers. They're in the crowd. But a person in the crowd has no real commitment. Jesus is calling on people to become disciples, calling on you, on me, to be a disciple. The crowd won't always be there. When the crowd goes, the uncommitted person has no salt. No. What use is salt really when it's no longer salty? I think Jesus means here, a person in the crowd might look like a disciple. In reality, without a commitment to be a disciple, they just pretend disciples. Jesus says it's no use being a pretend disciple. So become an authentic disciple. There's a cost in being an authentic disciple, though, isn't there? Uh, die to self. Life is not about you. It's about living for your Lord who died for you. Live for the Saviour. He will keep you safe. And enjoy the party because disciples are welcome at the party. That You're on the guest list. Jesus has made sure of that. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your graciousness in revealing your son to us, in calling us to be authentic disciples. And Father, we long to be authentic disciples of Christ. And while our spirit is willing, our flesh is so weak. And we ask you please to strengthen us. Please lead us to grow in humility. Please help us to put pride to death and to practice humility in life. Thank you for your invitation to your party. What a great time that will be. Thank you for such a positive end. And thank you for your open invitation. As disciples of Jesus, please help us to die to self and to put Jesus above all else. We so struggle here in doing that. We face so many conflicting desires. Please help us have confidence in you and to put Christ first. Amen.